0: Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you.
1: Welcome to this episode of the Bike Radar Podcast. Today, I am joined by senior technical editor, Tom Marvin, and senior technical editor, Warren Rossiter. My name is Alex Evans. I'm also a senior technical editor. And today is a Q&A where you have sent us your questions and we try our hardest to answer them. If you have any questions that you'd like to send into the Bike Radar podcast, please do email us, podcast at bikeradar.com and we will try our hardest to answer your queries. Now, before we delve into the meat of the podcast, Tom, what have you been up to recently? What has been tickling your fancy?
0: Well, um, I'm not sure exactly when this podcast is going out because I haven't scheduled it. Um, But I have been on holiday recently. I went to Spain, went to the Canary Islands, did very little, did one little morning's bike ride on a hire bike and spent a lot of time next to a swimming pool reading my book.
1: You are looking very tanned, I will say.
0: <laughs> Thank you. I'm looking very red <laughs> in my little team screen. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's also been a, a trip to Spain straight after my holiday. See a new bike from a brand, uh, and I don't actually know. Uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was because there's an embargo.
1: From one Spain to another, then, because the Canary Islands are from, technically in Spain, aren't they?
0: Technically, they are. Te- yeah, yeah. From one Spain to the Basque country. Lovely. Yeah, that's what I've been doing, really. Um, And then, yeah, catching up on basically two weeks where I haven't been at work.
1: Where you've been holidaying. I mean, working. I mean, which which one do you put in the the comments? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) Great stuff. Exactly. Uh, um, What about you, Warren? What's what's been uh, getting you going?
2: I'm sort of deep into a bike tester of um, bikes with the new Shimano Ultegra di 2 the new 12-speed semi-wireless, which I've been running on my own bike for Best part of the year, but these are um, three three new bikes um, that come equipped with it, all premium, rather nice. And I'm spending a bit more time on BMC's new road machine amp, which is a super light um, uh, e road bike, uh, which has got the latest mm. it, uh, version of Mahler's, um system, which has got a much more compact hub than the old one. Um, it doesn't need a bolt bolt-on axle now it works on a, a standard bolt through um so it's a much more practical bike and um and i'm really really impressed with it you know it's like a it's an e-bike that only weighs 11 kilos the range i'm getting out of it is off the charts and as i'm sort of coming back from a a bit of a bout of covid it's like the perfect rehabilitation bike when you're uh, feeling a little bit flat and a bit um low energy when you get into the hills it's uh it's it's there to give you a, a nice uh Kick
1: up the rear, as it were.
0: Eleven kilos. E-bikes are, e-bikes are good for the old uh, rehabilitation. Aren't they? I, I, I used a bit of an e-bike when I was coming back from injury. I think in the last Tech Q and A podcast that we recorded a few weeks ago now, uh, there's a question there from someone who'd had some some injuries and was uh, got back onto the bike because of e-bikes. So um, good little things.
1: Yeah, especially eleven kilo ones. Jesus, that's light. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? <laughs> that's crazy light.
0: How much do your e-bikes normally weigh, Al? Well, you would test a lot of them.
1: Yeah, so um, I was trying to think. The heaviest one at the minute's around twenty six, twenty seven kilos. Really, I think the heaviest one I've ever tested was twenty eight or twenty nine. Um, but it, 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 they hide their weight really well. As long as the brakes are up to the to the job of slowing down, you can ride them mm. pretty aggressively. Like, yeah, it's it's surprising actually. As long as the weights are in all the right places um then you know it's it's not too much of a barrier i wouldn't say hmm.
0: do you think um disc brakes on robox was have made a big difference to the um feasibility of e road uh
2: yeah i think so i think so i mean it's still it's still a sort of tricky area but i just think anything that kind of keeps you riding keeps you going um good equalizer between you know uneven riding partners it's it's a good thing it's a great
1: thing
0: Al, what have you been up to recently?
1: Uh, Oh, I've been doing a a whole range of very exciting things. Like you say, I've got a garage full of e-bikes at the minute, um, which is is pretty cool being able to take my pick between the motors, the geometries, the types. Uh, We've got everything from like a, I don't know, there's like a 9 or 10K Polo Voima review. is out soon actually, as it happens, um, all the way down to the £4,500 Vitas e-Summit. Um, which is massively well spec for the price. Um, so yeah, it's uh, been been hitting up on the on the e-bizzles. I don't know if you can say that. Is that a banned term in bike radar world? Maybe.
0: No, nah, the only one that I banned is ebe. Uh, going for a quick ebe yeah. Yeah, uh, nah. That that just I just I want to gouge my eyes out whenever I hear that term. I hate it.
1: <laughs> uh, great. I'll, I'll know to use that then in the future. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> great stuff. Okay, well, let's cut straight to the chase. You have sent us your questions, and we have answered. This next question is from Jose, or it might just be Josie. I, I don't know. It's hard to tell. But thank you so much for sending your name in.
0: I think it, I think it was Jose. I pulled this one out of Instagram. Okay. Uh, and I think it is Jose. Okay,
1: so thank you, Jose, for your question. Uh, Jose would like to know, Warren, which bike is better, the Merida Reacto or the BMC Team Machine?
0: No, no hanging about there with the question, is okay, it? Straight That's straight in. in. What what, like. Which is better?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, it's a it's a it's a really tough question. I've I've tested both and the the top range versions of both. Um, yeah, so both the Reacto and the T machine they are they are great bikes. The Reacto is Reader's um, aero road bike, though, like a lot of modern aero road bikes, it's still. Um, it's still very, very aero, but now it's been on somewhat a diet, and the ride quality and the handling has been improved. So for an out-and-out aero bike, it's one of the easiest to live with. Um, and honestly, it's it's really good value for money right across the board from the from the you know the starter models right up to the most expensive model. It's it's significantly cheaper than most of its rivals. Um, the Team Machine, in contrast, is um, is BMC's um, lightweight kind of all-round race bike. Although this latest version has quite a few nods to aerodynamics from um, uh, cleverly sort of integrated bottle cages um, to its aero-shaped um, one-piece bar and stem, on the, on the highest models at least. No, it's still a really, really light bike. I mean, the SALR 01, I tested tip and scales at bang on seven kilos with the two bottle cages installed, and that was on a large... Like 58 centimetre bike as well, so um you know phenomenally light bike. I guess it really sort of depends on the sort of riding you do or you want to do. The Reacto is a really very, very fast bike that feels well balanced and and is smooth for an aerobike, um whereas the T machine's a bit livelier when it comes to its handling. So I'd say if you're riding on mainly sort of rolling terrain with lots of fast, flatter sections, um the Reacto would be epic for that. Um if however your idea of a good day out is uh, a bunch of climbs with more sort of twisty technical road descending. Then I'd go with the team machine. But either way, both of the both of these bikes are amongst you know the best of their kind. So can't really go wrong with either. To be honest.
1: Yeah, nice. Thanks, Warren. I guess you know it's like one one for one thing, one for another type of type of riding. I guess and Jose, it would depend what what you do most. I guess would be the be the, the best way to choose between the two um it, it does sound like you you really can't go wrong with them um great stuff Thank, thanks Warren. um so on to our next question um and this one spans the disciplines um and the uh, question asker here would like to know what we use to track our rides and plan routes on the road they say they've got a wahoo element computer although it's pretty and they're saying it's pretty simple to build a decent road loop on the internet with Komoot. Um, but it seems that a lot of trails are harder to find, so like off-road kind of single-tracky type things. Um, to track rides, I'm a bit wary of putting my computer on my bars and it feels a bit risky. So I think there's there's a couple of questions in there. Mm. Um, the first one is is trying to, what, what would we recommend um, they use to find mountain bike trails um, and, you know, slightly, natural, maybe smaller single tracks, maybe smaller gravel roads as well, um, and then the other one is putting your bike computer on your handlebars, which I agree can feel a bit risky. Uh, do you have any any wisdom there, Tom?
0: Uh, yeah, so I think um, there's a number of ways. let's let's talk about planning rides. Um, unlike sort of more sort of cross country jaunts, um, I do quite often use um, commute for that. Um, the software is pretty good, although the mapping sort of uh, the image that you see doesn't often differentiate between bridleways and footpaths, and you don't often get as much detail as you might from an OS map. Um, so if you're looking for like a big cross-country smash fest, um, I'd probably do a hybrid of an OS map if you've got one, um, which will show you sort of the legality side of things, um, and then Commute, which you know has some user-generated content on there sometimes, so it might be a suggestion of what it's like, whether it's good or not um and mash both of those together. If you're looking for sort of more like trail and enduro riding, um the best thing I've found is Strava heat maps. Um you know, not everyone Strava's every ride and some trails might might be sort of blocked from some from appearing, but generally speaking, you know, if there if a, a wiggly line appears on the map between two bits of road or track, it's probably a bit of single track, and if you've got lots of people going down, it, it's going to show up brighter on the, on the heat map, and it's going to suggest it might be pretty good. Um, the other thing you can sort of do um, is just go exploring. So if you can see that there's like a, a loop of fire road, which, which lots of people have done on their mountain bike rides, um, but there's not so many tracks in there. It might just be worth having a little pedal up there and having a nose about seeing what you can find. Um, the other option, obviously, is an app called Trail Forks, um, and this is another one kind of similar to Komoot, but much more mountain bike-focused. Um, and there's a lot of tracks on there in certain areas because it's user-generated, again, um, with quite a bit of detail. You know, there's profiles on there, how difficult it is, what grading it's been given, um, and that can be a really useful tool. Um, you have to pay for that, much like you also have to pay for Komoot, um, but it does come embedded into some Garmin devices, for example, so my 830 um, has, it's it's already sort of preloaded in there, and um, which can be quite handy. Um, but maybe the if you want to create a loop to follow, it's not quite so easy. Um, but it's a good way of sort of, you know, riding along and then being like, all right, that's a track off there. It's got a name, it's got a colored grading uh, and that sort of thing. So those are sort of, I, I don't think there's one good tool. I think there's a range of reasonable tools that you can use together. Um, do you know the, the, I mean, actually the best tool tool for finding new tracks and trails is an e-bike because uh, you know if you have uh, so many times I've gone exploring on a, on a normal bike and you, you slug up a hill thinking oh there's got to be loads of tracks on there and you get to the top pretty knack and you start riding down a little sliver of trail and you find yourself at a dead end or on something a bit rubbish and you've got to schlep all the way back up to the top and it's a lot of wasted effort whereas on an e-bike whack it in turbo buzz your way back to the top and you haven't really lost anything um that's maybe an extreme example because <laughs> uh, yeah you could use free software or a x thousand pound e-bike <laughs> yeah um what do you use Alpha? On, on the sort of planning a route ride what do you use
1: yeah i i kind of um I, I, like you i use a, a whole range of of different um different devices i guess would be the best, best way to describe it you know you could use os maps there's free os maps there's open street map there's another one i think's uh, an international mm-hmm. one um, and then yeah, Strava Strava heat maps is great, um, but also Strava segment segment uh, search, um, is oh, yeah. a good one. So um, if you're in a if you're looking at riding in a specific area, um, and you can zoom in on the on the map of the area where you're riding on your phone or on your computer on Strava, actually shows you where all the different segments are of all the different trails.
0: Yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. it's not the best mapping. I, I, I used it a lot when I was up in Aviemore uh, and riding Burnside High Burnside, and I often found like it would show some trails. Then you zoom in, and some trails would appear, yeah. but some would disappear. It was, it was a bit, it was a bit of a faff, but it does, it does work. Yeah, absolutely,
1: and I think, I think you're right. Nothing beats going to a place and you know getting a feel of the lie of the land and using you know your kind of a small amount of research and kind of joining all the dots together. I think is the best mm. thing. Um,
0: yeah. Warren, what, what, what do you, you know, obviously you do a lot of gravel riding, and uh, if you're exploring in new areas, uh, what tech do you use? We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse.
2: Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did.
1: And in the end. What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um
2: again, it's a bit of a combination, really. I mean, you know, commute commute is good. Um I do find having a an OS map um of a particular area, you know, it's like where I am, down on Salisbury Plain, um, having the OS maps of the area is really good because there are so many tracks and trails all around here, you know, great gravel stuff, but quite a lot of it's military, so you do need to know whether you are allowed on there because you don't really want to be riding into the centre of a firing range. Um and then, you know, I, I, I do tend to, you know, I kind of tend to rely on a bit of uh, I quite like exploring. I quite like getting lost. So it's more having a unit that's got good mapping. So, you know, like my my Garmin ten thirty or my eight thirty I find, you know, the actual on screen mapping's pretty decent. You know when you when you're dealing, you know, I'm mainly dealing with byways and and of and and smaller roads, and, and it's it's really really good for that. Um, so I don't massively plan that many routes. I just kind of massively plan for the amount of time I want to be out. So it's like right, I'm going to go ride for six hours today, so I'm going to ride three hours out and then loop back round and come home. You know, that's the beauty of having a you know having a mapping device on your handlebars is uh, you don't get lost. Um, I mean, and the other part of the question is like you know, worrying about putting a uh, a unit on your bars. I mean, I've never lost one. I've never had one eject. You know, using the decent, you know, one on a Garmin with a decent twist lock system. Or more recently, I've been using Hammerheads, um, Hammerheads Karoo Two, which I'm really impressed with. Um, and their you know their are kind of V shaped system for locking the unit onto you. Onto your bike is really, really good, really tough. Um, and then, you know, the one thing that nobody ever uses um, that's always in the box or whatever, whatever unit you've got is that little lanyard. Nobody ever uses it, but put that little lanyard on, double loop that around your bar, and then even if it does eject from its, uh, from its um, holder, it's not going anywhere. It's just going to flap. And and they're pretty robust
0: I always use the the lanyards on my uh, on my because i don't trust <laughs> I don't trust plastic clips and i've I've never le- lost one or rejected one. one thing I found about garments that the screens scratch super easily on the bars so i've even like when I've been on a gravel bike and just you know going through a bramble or you know some twigs like I've scratched screens so screen protector really important and uh, it does marginally hamper like the the like the function of, this, of the the touchscreen. if you've got a touchscreen computer although I don't know if the element bolt um is touchscreen. um there are quite a few sort of little nice devices though where you can sort of make your computer a little bit safer so you can always rotate your uh your mounts around so it's sort of stood to the side of your steerer tube um kind of gets it a bit more out of the way uh, and there's loads of little um Mounts that you can put in your top tube. So top tube mounting a, go, a, a computer is quite a popular thing to do. Um, 76 projects, do some really neat little ones that stick onto your top tube and get everything out of the way. Just make sure that um, you've got clearance between your computer and your bars if the bars do spin.
2: Yeah, I mean, on my, on my sort of commuting, commuting e-bike, because obviously it's got, a, it's got an e-bike display where you do normally put your, your Garmin. I'm just, I just use a uh, top cap Garmin mount, you know, replaces your stem top cap. And That's actually really neat. It's a really tidy... Totally place for it to go. I don't know. You know, a couple of a couple of my mates that that race cross tend to use those because then they haven't got anything protruding out the front. It's kind of tucked out the way when you're you're picking your bike and running with it and stuff.
0: Yeah. If if you're not needing the navigation as well and you just want to purely track your rides for fitness and stuff, I, I use a watch. Um, I don't use my computer on my sort of enduring trail bikes very often because I'm not often navigating with that. Um, so I've got a Garmin Instinct Solar at the moment on test. Um, and it's sort of it's out the way. It's pretty tough. The like the tracking of the ride, I don't think is quite as accurate as a bigger head unit, which has got more space for sort of sort of bigger tech. But for general day to day use, unless you're really like serious about tracking everything, a watch for me works really well um, as long as it's not too heavy, not too bulky. Um, I think that's the thing with like the bigger watches. Actually, they they can be quite big units on your wrist, which when you're mountain biking can rattle around. Um, so actually, the cheaper watches with less stuff going on, smaller bezel sizes and stuff, I find a bit better on the mountain bike.
1: Nice, cool. Th- thanks, guys. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, m- mounting anything on your handlebars can be risky, um, but there are certainly ways to mitigate it. I know Garmin. I know we talked gar- about Garmin quite quite a lot here, but they sell a um, a rubberized protector for the for their head units mm-hmm. as well um, that kind of wrap around it. So that's another another good option. Um, but, yeah, definitely try and mount it inboard, maybe. Try, try and mount your device inboard um, of the handlebars, and then you know it's, it's less likely to get knocked off in a crash. And use that lanyard. As, as uncool as it looks, you will be saving your device. Great, okay, and on to the next question. This one's uh, an interesting one. Is there a way to pick a new pair of handlebars without trying loads out? There are tons of widths, angles, drops, flares, aero shapes and rounded tubes do particular shapes or styles suit some riders better than others or types of riding too so yeah a tricky one i guess they kind of mean you know if you're going into a shop or even online and you're looking to buy a set of handlebars well without trying them out it could be quite hard to know whether actually they they suit you know your riding your bike your body the whole lot
2: yeah it is, it is a really it is a really tricky one um i say the most important thing for bars is uh, getting the width right you know the the basic rule is you measure the distance between your ac joints so that's the bumps that are on the tops of your shoulders where your collarbone attaches just in border of like your deltoid muscles um and that kind of width as a you know as a starting point um sort of denotes the width of a bar so say yeah that distance is 38 centimeters get 38 bar you know the measurement on my shoulders is um 46, but I do tend to run a 44 bar because a 46 bar is not really hard to find, it's also a bit excessively wide. Um, but quite a few people quite prefer to run a wider bar. The thinking here is that sort of opens up your chest and helps you helps you breathe in. Um the current trend, especially in, in the Pro Peloton, is to flip that and run ever narrower bars to try and gain some sort of aero advantage. You know, I think that's fine if you're riding in straight lines but when it comes to corners. The detrimental effect of uh, narrow bars on the handling um, is something that I just can't get along with, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd much rather be, be having fun than, you know, trying to grab a save a what, here or there. So think of that kind of width measurement as a baseline, but don't really be afraid to go either side of it. Um, next, you need to think about the shape uh, of the drop. Um, you get standard uh, compact or a semi compact or Anatomic, some some call call it. And that I guess is really down to how flexible you are, how or how flexible you want to try and be. Um a standard deep drop will put you in a lower position. Um, but if you're not comfortable, you'll spend less time down in them. Um standard drops usually about 130 mil plus, um, with a longer reach as well, um, usually around sort of 90 mil. Um traditionally that sort of shape's favoured by sprinters and you know. Sort of aggressive riders at the other end of the scale, you've got the compact drop where it's around 125 mm deep, um, and you know, sort of about 80 mil in reach, so so shorter and and um and less tall. Um, and then you've got semi compact sits somewhere in between. Compact drop has pretty much become the standard, it's the norm on, on most bikes that you buy now. Um, and for endurance and sort of recreational riders, um, I think it's probably the best option because it's not as far to get down into those drops. You'll feel more comfortable being there, you'll spend more time there. Um, but most of us still spend um, most of our time up on the hoods. Um, so getting a bar with a good inter- interface between the lever um, and the bar is good. I quite like a, a flattened top bar because um, it provides a nice bit of support for the heel of your hand when you're, when you're on on the hoods and sort of got your elbows in. Um, the actual flat section on the top, I quite like an arrow an arrow shape on the top not necessarily for the arrow, but um that flat flatter deeper top is quite nice to hold um, when climbing especially if like me you've got big hands um it's also a nice platform to rest your elbows on and get you know get down low and um hammer out some speed along on a flat um you know more recently it's obviously flared bars popular for gravel riders um because that I mean, I guess the advantage of that is it does allow you to run a narrower, more aero position when riding on the hoods, but it doesn't compromise the handling when you're down in the drops, um, which is great for off-road. But we are actually seeing that being adapted to the road. If you look at Trek's latest Madone, um, that's a similar sort of design. It's got really, really narrow hood-to-hood dimension, but then it flares out at the bottom. So, you know, it's it's quite interesting to see gravel influence in uh, aero road. So I guess you know my advice is just choose a bar which fits your hand size well and that you feel comfortable with. Don't be swayed by fashion or you know or current trends. You know, a bar is your main contact point with your bike, so get the shape and feel right, and it will enhance your riding.
1: Yeah, nice. Okay, Th- thanks, Warren. I, I guess another another good um, thing to maybe do is is if if you're able to find out the specs of your current handlebar um, that's on your bike and and see what the you know the drop, the flare, the width. Um, is on that and, and if you like it then maybe look at replicating that with another brand or if you don't like it try and work out why and, and see if you can eliminate that, those bits from the equation I guess
2: yeah yeah most definitely most definitely and I think um, you know um, wondering wandering around a shop actually just grabbing the bar <laughs> grabbing the bars of various different bikes you know you can see the differences between them you know and something that's got like an anatomic or you know some people call it a pistol type grip um you see if you get on with that well, that's where the drop's actually got sort of a flat section which gives you a real solid connection where you where your hands go and also you know think about where you spend most of the time so if you're riding up on the hoods most of the time try and you know think about how you put your how, where you position your hands you know um and i guess you know the other thing is 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 how how bars feel um that can only really come from the riding you know a, a super stiff bar feels great when you're when you're Know out 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 the saddle, honking up a climb or sprinting, um, but if you're riding on, you know, rooted, broken tarmac, it can, you know, it can just uh, vibrate your your fingers into numbness. So, you know, uh, but then on the on the flip side of that, you can get you know something like Bontragers IsoCore bars, which are you know designed for you know ridden on 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 things like cobbles. So they've they've even got kind of indentations on the bar, which you buy the, you know, buy Bontrager's own bar tape for, which includes like gel inserts that you put in there. So those kind of high vibration areas have got actual pieces of damping. I mean, there are some very, very clever bars out there that, do, you know, that, that manage to be stiff and comfortable where, where, where you need it. You know, I think, um, the bars on like Giants Defy do exactly that. You know, they're, 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 they're quite brilliant at what they do. Um, I've also been really impressed actually with their prime bars from Wiggle. Um, you know, their carbon they do an aero gravel bar, which sounds weird, but actually it's it's fantastic, you know. I've actually been running it on one of my road bikes and I've got no inclination to take it off. Um But again, it, it again it's one of those things, it's just it, this it's so personal that contact point. It's something you've really got to experiment, I guess.
1: Yeah definitely and if if you're lucky enough to have a good relationship with your local bike shop um as Warren said you know you could go around and hold the bars in your hands or even try the, try the bikes that they've got on the shop floor and you know see if there's a pair of handlebars there that you like the position of um obviously you know don't just walk into a bike shop and do that because you you might get some strange looks but um you know if you've got a good relationship there it could be a could be a good shout as well. Great stuff Th- thanks Warren. Um next question uh is um about gravel riding, kind of, is sort of related to gravel riding. So this person has recently got into gravel and they're building up their collection of tools. They're trying to learn how to fix their bike with just a multi-tool wasn't going so well. They would like to know which tools are essential and are there any nice to haves and what brands should I be looking out for? So I don't know. I mean, there are definitely a lot of tools out there that are nice to have, (laughs) but there are some probably more, way more essential than others. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to kick off with a couple of suggestions. That's a really decent set of sharp Allen keys, high-quality Allen keys, um, so you don't round out your bolts. Most, bike, most bolts on bikes these days are either Allen or Torx heads. Um, so, you know, buying a set of Allen keys is a fairly expensive investment, you know, a really nice set. It's definitely worth it. They will pay for themselves time and time again um just because of the sharpness and the accuracy of the tool you're less likely to rip the head of that bolt straight mm. out.
0: I've got a i have got a recently got a set of wearer um Allen keys that are really really lovely. Um, they're co- they've got color coded rubber sleeves at the top so you can really quickly pick out like uh, you, did, you kind of it, I couldn't tell you what color the 5 mil is now but like it's yellow, it? when it's on your workbench you uh, you know exactly what it's going to be. Um and they've got the they're really um the shape of them uh, and the sizing of them is really accurate um, and they feel nice they cost a bit more than some others but they're really good but i'm going to add to that on the on the allen key uh, the hex key front and the torque key is a, a, a little ratchet tool So I've just got like a tiny. it's just a, it's actually quite a cheap thing, but uses like those little half inch drives or whatever they are, you know, the small little driver bits. And they're really, it's really useful for bottle cages. Bottle cages are one of my least favorite things in the world, along with saddle clamps, um, because the access to them is always such a pain. Um, And like a little ratchet tool helps you get into those little awkward spaces sometimes where like a traditional allen key maybe is a bit more of a faff. Um, So I'm going to add that into your... Allen and Hex key set. So really good Torque and Hex key set. Yeah. yeah. talks.
2: I'd agree on the wearer tools. I've got the, I think it's called the Bicycle Set 3. In fact, I, in fact it's on my desk somewhere. It's, um, yeah. And again, comes with... Oh, a, yeah, I've just a, got one of those. Yeah, comes with a small <laughs> ratchet. comes with a driver body as well. And to be honest, I I don't think I've used better quality Allen keys or, or talks drivers than these... They are, you know, even down to the actual, you know, the, the the Allen heads are a different shape to your standard one, and they are actually designed to to bite and not strip. And um, you know, precision made in Germany. They are, you know, they're exceptionally good. And I was actually surprised that they weren't more expensive, to be honest. And it's quite rare that you you say that about anything. You know.
1: Yeah, especially these days. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: I th- okay. I think that um that that set is uh, it actually just went into uh well it went into the first look Friday in uh, mid mid September and I've got the price for you here. Uh to get it where is it? Where is it? Uh the yeah the bicycle set 3 ratchet screwdriver and socket set. It is 90 quid but it's probably one of the best 90 quid you can spend on a really nice set of tools and there's a lot of tools in there There's sockets there's torques there's ball ended hex there's standard hex there's phillips there's flathead uh, a little ratchet and the driver and it's it's a really quality set of tools like i'm genuinely really impressed with it so yeah i'd, I'd t- totally agree on that front and that could probably replace a regular l handled set of of allen keys if you did want to go the, the whole hog with that
1: yeah absolutely yep um, I think maybe like the, the next type of thing we, we, you, you need to look at your bike and you need to kind of think well what things am I going to be removing or fixing regularly um, and I think a, a, cassette, a cassette tool and a chain whip are, are pretty high up mm. there in, in terms of you know specialist tools that are universally um, applicable to all bikes that are good to have so once you've bought your chain whip and your cassette tool you will be able to use them on all of your other bikes as long as it's a 8, 9, 10 11, 12 speed compatible chain whip. Because, um, you know, t- taking a cassette off is really handy if you ever want to replace your spokes or give it a good clean or whatever, you know.
0: Yeah, and the, I, I like the, the plier based chain whips as opposed to the ones that sort of wrap around. They're a bit more pricey, but they're just a bit easy. I always get confused with the chain whips. They're still like, what, how, where, huh? They're, they're weird things. Um, but the other thing I've really noticed is that now we've moved to 12-speed, standard chain whips actually don't really fit very well. So if you've got a 12-speed setup, which you probably do on a newish bike, um, you're going to want to make sure that your chain whip is is built for 12-speed as well. Yeah, definitely. Another um, tool that I think is really useful to have that you might not use very often, but when you do use it, is an absolutely godsend. Is it was too. One is a really good set of outer cable clips. So if you're running mechanical gears, um, something to really neatly snip um, your inner cable and your outer makes a massive difference. So a real good sharp pair of of ca- uh, cable pliers. And the, on the similar note, um, a really good hose cutting tool. If you are going to be fiddling around with your brakes at all, your hydraulic hoses getting a really clean cut um, is really useful. So that plus a really decent um, bleed kit for your bike. So, oh, yeah, Shimano will sorry. have them.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that. I, mm. And I'll, I would sort of, on SRAM, I'd skip straight past the standard bleed kit and go for the pro one. Yeah. It's not that much more expensive, but you get, you know, such, such better, especially the syringes are so much better.
0: So yeah. Easier to I use. believe, I think Park have just. Um, updated their bleed kit i think for shimano brakes with um much nicer fittings and sort of compression fittings around like the end of the little hoses and, and the stuff so it's worth investing in a in a good bleed kit. i'm doing the brakes test um in a couple well about now actually i'll be starting that and i'm going to be bleeding a lot of brakes over the coming weeks and yeah a decent bleed kit makes a huge amount of difference to just how easy it is um, so see what what brakes you've got, and then just buy kind of the best bleed kit you can that's specific to that brand of
1: brake. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Good, great suggestions. Um, and maybe a spoke key as well would be another another good thing to have in there. Um, you know, if, if you ride your bikes a lot, your spokes can come loose. They, they may even snap. You may need to replace one or two. Um, but having the correct spoke key for the spokes that you've got on your bike is really important because nipples, spoke nipples, are really easy to round out, and then you're in a you know, a bit of a bit of a word of pain if you ever need to get a, a rounded out spoke, rounded out nipple, flipping egg. That's a complicated sentence. If you ever need to get a spoke <laughs> out of a rounded out nipple and it's still in the wheel, it can be a bit of a pain. You might end up having to cut it out, which uh, you probably yeah. don't do. um, yeah.
0: want to do. And one more, more suggestion: uh, a good, decent, soft-faced uh, hammer mallet type thing. Um, the number of times I've tried to remove slightly stuck parts with the end of a spanner or something like that—it's just not worth it. Get a get a good hammer. It never works with the the handle of a an adjustable.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's the thing—is like you know, every job's easier if you've got the right tool. It really is. Um, mm. But I would also sort of, you know, go back to kind of the fundamentals and think how, how much of the work on your bike do you want to do. Um, and you know, it may be going back to being a little bit analog, but. I've always found books like you know Park's Big Blue Book, uh, which is regularly updated and regularly kept fresh, It's just a really good resource just to be able to dig in mm-hmm. and, uh, and find the correct way of doing things that you might have just assumed you know how to do it. You know, obviously you can uh, you can look at, look many a thing up online, but it's always quite difficult trying to balance your phone in you in your work stand whilst tinkering with a bike and trying to follow, you know, trying to trying to f- follow someone's video, whereas actually I just find you know going back to when people used to work on their own cars you know, having having the equipment the haynes manual that you can just look at every process mm. is, uh, is well, I've lived,
0: I've done the haynes manual thing for an old car and my god
1: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fix many things <laughs> the, the car the car in question was virtually unfixable though wasn't it tom <laughs> it was a it was a car that had a lot of problems yeah uh Tom, tom's got a good history of uh history of car car related issues for those new new podcast listeners out there um
0: it's nothing better than an unreliable vehicle
1: it's not <laughs> <laughs> great stuff thanks guys and i'm glad i'm glad we managed to slip a hammer in there as also one of the most essential tools anyone could ever <laughs> own um that's definitely high up on my list okay so final question and this is from someone called brian and Brian asks, what is the best way to ensure derailleur alignment when swapping wheel sets without going for multiple test rides? They say, whenever I swap between my training and racing wheels, I always seem to, make, seem to need to make small adjustments when the bike is on the workstand, but then need to make more when I'm out riding too. Is there a way to avoid this trial and error?
2: Uh, I think quite sympathy. Uh, I probably say no. <laughs> Um, it, it's how does that like sound you know, for, podcast them yeah but you know first first thing is it's um, if you are having issues swapping between two wheels um, first thing worth checking is is actually a, your rear derailleur alignment you know as in on the, on the hanger because a slightly out of whack mech can amplify any setup issues so you may have one hub that, that because of its dimensions can cope with it um, but then the other one that like Misalignment, it just can't, and that's when you end up with you know rally gears or miss shifts, etc. I guess the main issue here is that not all rear hubs and freewheels are made to the same dimensions, and just the small difference between these widths, and therefore where the cassette sits on the free or body, can just have an effect on gear accuracy. Um, you know, the obvious things are you know, make sure you're using the same gear ratio cassettes on both wheels. You, you know if you if you wanted to get really into it you could measure the distance from the hub flange to the center of your outermost sprocket on both wheels see if there's a difference if there is then there's a possibility you could look to add a spacer in behind the cassette that's shorter um you can find spacer kits on online with widths from like a millimeter up to three i can't imagine it being that much um, of a difference most wheels that you buy do come with a a spacer that enables you to run a nine or 10 speed set on an 11 or 12 speed to free your body so you may get lucky and find that might work if you've got one knocking around um really no, what, you know what 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 else what else can be done it's just there are you know there are differences between between um, hub dimensions it's just um irritating as it may be i mean it's worth checking um you can set um lock rings up to talk on on both wheels it could be that that one's not quite, you know, it is a free freehub body is basically an interference fit. So it can feel tight, but not be actually tightened up, you know, and the difference between say a steel freehub body and an alloy freehub body, the, the the actual feel of tension when you're, when you're tightening up can, can feel madly different. So going back to the previous question, where we were talking about good tools to have, a torque wrench. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you guys have experienced a similar sort of thing because obviously the 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 broad and yeah, massive spacing on a mountain bike cassette. If you're swapping between wheels on oh no, those, surely that that can amplify a slight misalignment yeah. even more.
0: That's a bit of a nightmare. The other thing you've always got to be aware of as well when you swapping wheels is your disc rotors because they're spaced slightly differently. That's why there's adjustment on a brake caliper. Um, so if you're fiddling with one, you got to fit, you know you might have to fill with the other. And you can get little spaces for your for your disc rotors if it's six bolt. If it's centre lock, maybe a bit more tricky. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it is more tricky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a leading question. Uh, it's more tricky with a centre lock. but uh, with six bolt, yeah, you can get little spacers online um, and they sort of shift it out by like, I don't know what it is, point one of a mil or point two of a mil. Um I I had um yeah, I I I run a gravel bike for a year. And did have a second set of wheels with road tyres on. And I, I tried it once or twice and just gave up in the end. It was just such a nightmare to get everything working smoothly. I just, I just couldn't be bothered in the end. Mm. Uh, just dragged around some gravel tyres on the road instead.
1: Nice.
2: I mean, the thing is, like, I mean, if you're using an electronic group, I mean, both Di2 and SRAM, it's really easy to make quick adjustments on the rear mech. Mm. Really, really easy. And I would say rather than doing it on a work stand where you're, drivetrain's not loaded I'd actually do it on the road you know mm. maybe like you know the, the SRAM access app you can actually do it you know with your phone whilst you're peddling, and you know so that's you know I do that all the time when I'm testing bikes with access on if the gearing's not quite sinking perfectly you know you can ride along making those gear adjustments I'll obviously do it yeah. off a major you know don't do it on busy roads because you're, you're you're not concentrating down the A4 yeah. dual carriageway and yeah. yeah. down middle of the lane Yeah, don't do it on a bypass or anything but Um, <laughs> um and then I, you know, uh, with a mecha- mechanical, it probably only take a couple of clicks on the on the barrel or just on your ear neck just to tune it out. So I know it's a faff, but um, as I say, without without having effectively the the same wheels, you know, that you run in two different guises, which kind of negates the point of having a training set of wheels. <laughs> um, it it they there are always going to be small differences, and those small differences can be amplified if your setup's not absolutely perfect.
1: Yeah, uh, there's actually a, an interesting development um, coming soon, and uh, I spotted this whilst I was out at the Mountain Bike World Championships in Leger, um, and that's uh, SRAM's new, um, or prototype I guess you could say, uh, derailleur, um, that that looks, I mean this is just just from what I've seen um, in, in real life, it, it seems to bolt directly to the bike's frame. Um, And from what I could tell, there were no uh, high and low limit screws Mm. or B-tension adjustment or anything on on the derailleur that kind of uh, indicated that there would be any form of external adjustment. Um, So, you know, read into that what you will, but maybe there'll be a time when derailleurs won't need adjusting and everything will be spaced the same. So no matter what wheels you chuck on, as long as you're running the same cassette, the same derailleur and... um, Get, you know. I
0: think the thing with um with the access stuff I was riding about with access over the weekend and I had some like slightly out of aligned line gears and it was it was doing my head in until I just sort of got off and you hold a button down on the shifter and just tap the shifter and it just it shifts the mech I think point two five of a mil or yeah. something each way every time and like it it's so easy with access to get the gear set so I guess with with that new access stuff and we haven't seen the details but we've you know I, I've seen it in in sort of in the flesh as well and there isn't any adjustment screws that I could see you, you're just going to be using that system to to align it all up and then you know the, the the gaps between the cassette teeth is is a constant so so long as you've got it on it, it there's no reason for it to be anything other than working yeah
1: right yeah
0: so you're not relying on a on a cable that's going to stretch and get dirty you're just relying on a, a wireless signal that's connected to a motor that pushes it a certain amount every single time yeah. um
1: well i hope that helps brian I, I you know i guess you're just gonna have to uh, have to li- live with that one unless you can buy buy an- another set of wheels um, or, or trade one of your sets of wheels so that they're identical between your training and your in your race wheels. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's just a, a nature of the beast, unfortunately, with the tolerances of hubs and cassettes and chains and derailleurs and hangers and frames um, until, until that will get sorted out. Okay, well, I think that concludes uh, this episode uh, of our Bike Radar Tech Q&A podcast. Um, as I said at the beginning, if you've got any questions for us, anything that's making you scratch your head for hours on end whilst you're working on your bike, please do email podcast at or get in touch with us on the usual social media channels and we will pick up your message and try our hardest to answer your question. Um, thank you ever so much, Tom. And thank you, Warren, for giving away all of that wonderful wisdom for free. Um, really appreciate it. Um, thank you very much, Al. Yeah, thank you. And until next time, take it easy.